0: Thank you for your ministry of music. So as you can tell from the bulletin uh, title, the title that's in your bulletin, we are dealing with a continued story here. Uh, we're in the same chapter that we uh, looked at last week, 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to actually be dealing with the second half of this passage as last week we dealt with the first eight verses. So just to kind of review, just in case you um, missed last week or uh, If you have forgotten, but just to kind of jog our memory, I I want to just think about what we talked about last week uh, from the life of Elijah. And last week we began and we thought about specifically who Elijah was as a prophet, who he was as a person, and we saw that Elijah, he was a man of faith. He was a man who was zealous for the Lord, he was bold, he was confident, he was obedient, and he was even willing to stand firm to those who opposed God. Elijah had done great things, and I think if we were to have viewed his ministry back when he was doing it, I think we would have been excited about his ministry. I think we would have been able to see that it was a successful ministry, that the Lord was really working for him. But what we saw last week was a really big change, a change that came in an instant, in a moment that he received a death threat from the Queen of Israel All we know about Elijah, this bold, this confident, this obedient Elijah, changed. He was scared for his life, he was anxious, he was distressed, and even last week, I went so far as to say that Elijah was depressed. Elijah was depressed. And we considered in our own lives that even as Christians, our lives can be plagued with this fear, this anxiety, this depression And we even considered the illustration of Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher from the 1800s who was a man who was depressed, but he still did great things for the Lord. And we didn't just stop at the reality of depression that we learned from Elijah's life, but we even considered a response. And we considered the response to our fears and our anxiety and depression that we should run, that we should flee to God in these times, that we have a God who is understanding, a God who's forgiving, a God who is providing that we can run to. And we saw last week that he did provide for Elijah and giving him rest, giving him food, and giving him drink. So this morning, we're going to continue on because really, I think if you think about what we looked at last week, I think we conclude that the end of verse 8, that Elijah is still in his fear, he's still in his anxiety and his depression, and really it's unresolved. If we just read through verses 1 through 8, I think we're kind of left-hanging. All right Elijah is, he's still depressed. Um, he moves on from where he is, but really, his depression, I would say, is unresolved. And I think we're left with a few questions. We're left with the question of, is Elijah right with God? Is he not depressed anymore? What does God have to say about Elijah's response? All right, So that's where we come to our passage that Pastor Dave just read. 1 Kings 19, 9 through 21 is going to be our text. So if you're not there already, I'd encourage you to turn there with us as we're going to be looking right from the words of this story and we're going to be considering them verse by verse to see Elijah's life and specifically in this depression. And as we look at our text, I'd like to just ask us a very, in one sense, simple simple question. Um, And it's this. In your fear your anxieties, and possibly if you've ever dealt with depression or a time of depression, I'll ask you this question. Have you ever wondered, will it ever end? Will it ever end? So in any fears that you've had or anxiety or depression, have you ever wondered, will it ever end? And I believe today we see that Elijah's does. So we come to, uh, I think in one sense, if you want to call it a happy ending uh, to Elijah's story. So we're going to learn a lot of points. But our theme for this morning is this. In his depression, Elijah comes face to face with the word of God or the word of the Lord in which he meets God's rejection, God's resolution, and God's relief of his depression. So we're going to break down this text into three sections um, 1 Kings 19, 9 through 21, we're going to break into three sections, and I'll give you these three sections just so you can kind of trek with me as we move through this passage. The first we'll look at is God's rejection of Elijah's actions in his depression. God's rejection. The second we'll look at is God's resolution for Elijah in his depression. And then lastly or thirdly, we're going to look at God's relief Elijah in his depression. So God's rejection, God's resolution, and God's relief. Let's begin with the first, God's rejection. So if you look back with me at 1 Kings 19, 9 through 10, that's where our first section comes from, God's rejection of Elijah's action in his depression. And we see that this passage begins by the word of the Lord coming to Elijah. Read with me verse 9. It reads, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him what are you doing here Elijah that phrase the word of the lord is a key phrase and if you remember last week we very briefly mentioned it and i said that if we would go back to chapter 30 or chapter 17 if we look at first kings 17 and look at chapter 17 and chapter 18 we'd see this phrase repeated at least four times if not more And this phrase, the word of the Lord, is what caused, is what commanded Elijah to do what he did, all right? The word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he did the things that he did because of it. God spoke, Elijah listened, God commanded, Elijah obeyed. So this is a very key phrase throughout the whole of Elijah's life. But then we come to chapter 19. So the passage we looked at last week, and we saw the absence of this phrase The word of the Lord. And if you were just reading through this story, 17, 18, 19, if you were paying careful attention, I think that the absence would be glaring. We might ask, Where is the word of the Lord? So we might ask in our minds, Did God choose not to speak? Was God busy? And I'd answer this with a simple no. I believe that it's on Elijah. Elijah did not look for or patiently wait for the word of the Lord to come. He did not seek guidance or direction as to how he should respond to Jezebel's threat. So now we see the word of the Lord in verse 9, is he mentioned again. So after a brief absence, and we see it's an impactful absence, tells, a lo- tells us a lot about Elijah, we see it's back again in verse 9. And specifically, the word of the Lord, God asks Elijah, he asks him a question. And he says, what are you doing here? Essentially asking, why are you here? What has brought you here? God's response and his confrontational question to Elijah should cause Elijah to pause and think, you know, I have gone too far. All right, So God just asking this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah should have paused, and he, it kind of should have brought him to his senses, and he should have asked himself, I really have gone too far without looking to the Lord. Or or Elijah should have realized, oh, I have messed up. We're going to look at Elijah's response in a moment, but I want us just to kind of have the context here together. I want us to look at the setting. So if you look back with me at verse 8, this is where we ended last week, and we really didn't look into it in any depth as it was closing out our passage. But 1 Kings 19 verse 8 reads this way. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So that's where Elijah is right here in verse 9, and that's where we're going to see the rest of our our passage takes place. And we see that the mount Horeb is actually, I think, a mountain that almost everyone here would recognize. Maybe not the name, but you know a very significant event that took place on this mountain. It's when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. It's the same mountain that God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And in this kind of, and we're going to see it later, there's another point as well that does this, but we see kind of a connection between Moses and Elijah here. Both men were two men who fled and who left their people due to their own weakness and fears. Kind of see a connection here between Moses and Elijah. In one sense, Elijah's is a little later in his ministry. Moses' is just starting. But I think we have to wonder, um, what will God do on this mountain for Elijah? If we think back to the burning bush, a very common story uh, taught to little kids in Sunday school, we know that this story teaches us about God's commissioning of Moses. He reveals who he is, but he also, he commissions commissions him to do what he does. So we might ask, what's God going to do on this mountain for Elijah? But we come back to Elijah's response. So God asks him, what are you doing here? And we have to wonder, how is Elijah going to respond? Is he going to realize his lack lack of trust in God? Is he going to reflect upon all that God had done and had even done in his depression? So here's Elijah's response. Look with me at 1 Kings 19:10. Elijah says this, "I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away." So Elijah's response is this. He's open, he's honest. I think we'd certainly say he's not fake in this response, but he just lets it all out. And I think as we think about his response kind of from a general overview, he's seeking to justify his actions. He's trying to explain to God why he's just done what he's done, why he has fled and run. And we're going to see that his response shows us that he is in the wrong and even has sinned. And I will say this before we look at Elijah's response, that Elijah's response of fear, Even anxiety and then eventually depression, um, I think in one sense is natural. I'm not blaming Elijah for this fear. I think anyone, any one of us, if we got a death threat from a queen, I think we'd be scared as well. So in one sense, Elijah's response is natural. So I'm not faulting him for that. But where I think we can find fault with Elijah is how he responded to that fear, how he responded in his depression, how he didn't look to the Lord. Look to himself how he trusted in himself over the Lord. That's where we can find the fault. Not necessarily that he's fearful, not that he's anxious, but in what he does in that anxiety. So the application for us as we think about uh, Elijah's action. Is this we have to be careful in our fears and anxieties and even depression, as they can easily get carried away, and carried away in the sense that we begin to excuse them, push them under the wrong rug or even see ourselves as faultless in them. We see that Elijah seems to see himself as in the right, as doing nothing wrong. So am I saying that fears and worries are sinful? No, not at all. But again, it's what you do with them. Do you run to the Lord? Or do you, in one sense, not look to the Lord at all like Elijah? So again, thinking about Elijah's response, I want to look at it in a little bit more depth. So so we've kind of taken an overview of it. I want to look at it kind of phrase by phrase, and I think there's some very important lessons that we can learn uh, in our own lives. So four things that come from Elijah's response. First, the temptation to have a no-fault view of yourself, a no-fault view. And I'll explain what I mean in a moment. But look with me again at 1 Kings 19.10. It says right there in the beginning, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. So Elijah is seeing himself in the right. And in one sense, he's correct. Jezebel is in the wrong for for giving him a death sentence. He doesn't deserve to die at the hands of Jezebel. He's been serving the Lord. He's been fighting for the Lord. He's been defending the Lord. In in that sense, he is in the right. But at the same time, Elijah kind of neglects his relationship with the Lord in his depression. As we see, he's in the wrong in how he's treated the Lord in the last couple moments. He seems from his actions that the Lord is not there and would be no help. So Elijah here does not recognize that he hasn't looked to the Lord in his distress. So the lesson about fears, anxieties, and depression for us is this. It is easy in these times where we are fearful or anxious or depressed to see ourselves as perfect but maybe to blame others or to brush our lack of faith in God under the rug so we can easily have a no-fault view or see ourselves as faultless when really we're in the wrong. The second thing we learn about from Elijah's response or that Elijah's response shows us is this, the temptation to have a pessimistic view of everything else. Again, look with me at verse 10. It reads, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. Again, I'll kind of go back to last week, and we we spent a considerable amount of time looking back at chapters 17 and 18 and seeing all of the things that Elijah had done and all of the things that God had done through Elijah. And, And we really came out with the conclusion that Elijah was coming from a spiritual high. He was being successful because of what the Lord was doing For him, Elijah had victory after victory. He was being a servant and a testimony for the Lord. But here again, look at Elijah's words with me. This is how he kind of is defining his ministry. He says, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. So he's defining his ministry, I would say, in a very negative way. He's not pulling out the good things that have come, really the great things that the Lord is doing, But he's really seeing kind of the negative points, the low points of his ministry so far. So I would say that Elijah has really, in his depression, put blinders on to make him focus on the negative. So the lesson that we can take from this, the lesson about our fears, anxieties, and depressions is this. There is a real temptation in our fear, anxiety, and depression to only see the bad to be complaining and grumbling about all that is going wrong in our life rather than looking around and focusing on the way God is continuing to bless you in bad times. It's so easy to take a negative outlook on things rather than point out the good that is happening. Third, Elijah's response shows us the temptation to be self-consumed. Look with me at 1 Kings 19.10. It reads, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. So here we need to just go a little ahead in this story because I'd like to make a point here concerning verse 18. So if you look with me at 1 Kings 19, 18, this verse is important for our understanding of verse 10. Verse 18 reads this way, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So this is God speaking to Elijah, and he says there is 7,000 that are not followers of Baal. 7,000 that have not bowed to Baal. And if we look back at verse 10, Elijah's trying to claim that he's the only worshiper of God. And possibly these 7,000, possibly they're not following the Lord yet. But we know already, again, bringing in the context of what's already been said in 1 Kings, we know there's already several followers of God. Won't look there, but chapter 18, we met a character named Obadiah. And Obadiah is defined as a God-fearer. And as far as we know, Obadiah is still living at this time. So Obadiah is a servant of the Lord. Even we think of Elijah had a servant. Uh, in chapter 19 and chapter 18, we see this. So we see that Elijah, he's both being irrational, but I would say he's being self-consumed. He's being selfish in declaring himself as the only follower of God. And we've really already seen this selfishness uh, back last week, and we didn't, we didn't really mention it, but back last week we saw the selfishness in that Elijah flees, And not only is he having a lack of trust in the Lord, but he's leaving all of those people that said they wanted to follow the Lord after he defeated the prophets of Baal. So we see Elijah really in his depression here as being selfish. I'd say it's straight-up selfishness. So the lesson about our fears and anxieties and depression that we can learn from Elijah's response is this. When we are going through hardship and difficulty and are filled with anxiety, It is so easy to only be worried about your worries. And if you think about just your um, daily life, your week ahead, I would say oftentimes, I can think about myself included, oftentimes we might walk into church, we might walk into Sunday school, or we might walk into our jobs on a daily basis and just pass by people being concerned about our struggles and maybe our hardships and our anxiety and we neglect to ask other people how they're doing, or maybe we know someone's struggling in a certain way, and we just ignore that, focusing on our struggles and anxiety. Maybe we even think about the way in which we've been thinking or the way that we've been talking to people, and maybe it's just that woe is me type of talk, just talking about your complaints and the hardships in your life. So I think it's easy, uh, as we go through these struggles, as we have fears, anxiety, and depression, This is something we need to guard against, that we don't become self-consumed, we don't become selfish. And we might ask the question, can this be fixed? And I think it's something that as Christians, we need to be very intentional about. We have to make it a point to think about, to pray about, to reach out to others, especially when we're going through a, a hard time. And personally for me, I don't do this perfectly or always, but one way that I've found that's really helped me is before I interact with other people, maybe before I talk with people or hang out with people, I often pray both for them and pray for the conversation or the interactions that are, that are to be had. It really helps me think intentionally about them rather than all my own worries. Fourthly and lastly, as we think about Elijah's response in verse 10, we see the temptation to continue on in a lack of faith in God. And as as can be seen from Elijah's actions and now words, Elijah believes that all is lost. If you just reflect over what he's just said, in one sense, I think he sees God as failing. Elijah has retired from the scene of ministry and is continuing not to look to God and his word for direction, all right? And the lesson for us, the lesson about our fears and anxieties and depression is that all too often we forget how God can use the most terrible things for his glory. We forget that God has a plan and nothing thwarts his plan, even if it thwarts our plan. Nothing thwarts the plan of God, even if it thwarts our plan. So we see first, this first point, God's rejection of Elijah's actions. Let's move on to the second section. God's resolution for Elijah and his depression. All right, so we see God resolves his depression 1 Kings 19, verses 11 through 14 is our section, and it begins with Elijah experiencing extraordinary natural disasters. So read with me verses 11 through 12. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So again, remember, Elijah's on a mountain, and I think if we just read through these verses very quickly, it's very easy to not pick up or not realize what an absolutely extraordinary experience he's going through. And really, I think being on a mountain alone, it's a really scary picture. Think about Elijah's on Mount Horeb, and he experienced great wind, great wind so strong to be able to rip apart this mountain. He experiences an earthquake which shakes the ground, and he experienced a fire, and I don't really know what the fire exactly looked like on this mountain. We know of a fire that was on there before in the burning bush, but he experiences a fire. And it's important, and I'm not going to read this passage, but Exodus 19, 16 through 20 shows us these same exact things, which happened before Elijah, these same exact things taking place in the days of Moses. So again, a connection back with Moses and the people of Israel. But Exodus 19, 16 through 20, we see some of these same things and more taking place on this same exact mountain. But if we consider what's going on here, uh, we might marvel and we might say, God is revealing himself just as he did with Moses. He's displaying himself in an extraordinary way to bring Elijah out of his depression. All right, and if we respond that way, we haven't been reading the text very carefully. Look back with me at, the, at these verses, starting at verse 11. God says, "'Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, "'and behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, "'tore the mountains and broke in pieces "'the rocks before the Lord.'" And then it says this, But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. And then again it says, But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then verse 12, And after the earthquake, a fire. And a third time it says, But the Lord was not in the fire. So three times, three extraordinary events, three events that you think would be able to wake up Elijah it says, the Lord was not in these things. So we have to ask the question, what does it mean that the Lord was not in these natural disasters? Let's move on to verse 12, and it, it begins to help us understand what's going on here. Verse 12, we find at the tail end of it that Elijah hears a whisper. So look with me at 1 Kings nineteen twelve. It says, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... The sound of a low whisper. The sound of a low whisper. So after all these amazing, all these extraordinary and really flashy and spectacular weather-related experiences, what comes next is not necessarily flashy. It's not necessarily something new. It's not even something that Elijah had never experienced. The sound of a low whisper. And if you think about this phrase, the sound of a low whisper, if you have the ESV translation in front of you, I think this, as I looked at these Hebrew words here, I think the ESV translation really does a good job at giving an accurate translation of these words in the Hebrew, the original language in which it was written, but it also gives us a very understandable translation. Some like to distress, like to stress as they think about these words the quietness and the stillness, which is a, an understanding that you can take of these words. But I think the ESV does a very good job at bringing in the sound of a low whisper and translating it as a whisper because the, the Hebrew text makes it very clear that something is being heard. It's, it's audible. So the translation, the sound of a low whisper, or I'd say another way of saying this is the sound of a soft voice. It's barely audible. It's not loud but it's able to be heard, is what comes after the spectacular. So after all these flashy, all of these loud events, these scary events, something very calm, but something able to be heard. So what are we to make of this? The Lord was in this whisper. Look with me at 1 Kings 19.13. It reads, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So we see ultimately, we're told three times in these extraordinary natural disasters that the Lord was not in them. But now we see after this, the sound of a low whisper, we see it's the Lord who comes to Elijah, who speaks to Elijah. So this phrase that the Lord was not in, these weather-related events, the Lord was not in, or I'd say another way of saying this is that the Lord was not using or speaking through the wind, the earthquake, or fire. It was not, he was not in it in the, in the way that he was not using the wind, the earthquake, or the fire in Elijah's depression, but the Lord was in, or he was using, this low whisper, this soft voice to speak to Elijah, to meet Elijah in his depression. The Lord was using his word to speak to Elijah, He was using his word to meet Elijah in his depression, not these extraordinary events. So here again, we get the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. And so we can can conclude that it was not these amazing, these chaotic and flashy natural disasters that God decided to use in this low point in Elijah's life and his ministry, but it was his word. It was the word of God that he decided to use. So application, application. As we think about our lives, I think two lessons are here. The first is a lesson for Elijah in his depression, and the second is a lesson for Elijah in his ministry. So we'll think about Elijah in his depression first. We see that God met Elijah and ultimately used his word to take Elijah out of this state of depression. God used his word in Elijah's life to cause his fears and anxieties to go away. So what we learn in our anxiety, fears, anxieties, and depressions is this. Most likely it's not going to be something that's dramatic or something that is an amazing experience that takes you out of your time of anxiety and depression. We see here that it's the word of God that God chooses to use in these times of struggle for us. We learn that it's the word of God that God uses to meet us in our fears, our anxieties, in our depression. God uses the Bible to confront us, to comfort us, to transform us. So if we think about what this means for us, it's really that, that typical Sunday school answer. At least that's what we say with the junior high and the senior high. It's a typical Sunday school answer to say to read your Bible. And it's something that even a a child in a young Sunday school class would be able to answer, but that doesn't take away what this passage is teaching. This passage is teaching that in our struggles with these fears, these anxieties, these depression, or this depression, or really in any time, we as Christians need to be immersed in the word of God on a daily basis. This means that we need to be making the reading of the Bible a priority in our lives, This means that day in and day out, a portion of our day should be given to the reading of God's word. If this is what God uses to fight against and confront fears that we have, or things that we worry about, or times of depression, then we need to be giving ourselves to the Bible on a daily basis. Even further, this is where memorizing the word of God and then taking the step of meditating upon it, upon the scripture, is key. This is where the preaching and the teaching of the word of God, if it be here in the Sunday morning worship service or, or our evening service or even the prayer meeting, it shows why it's so important. We as Christians need to be people that immerse ourselves in the word of God even before these times of fear, these times of anxiety and depression. But when they do come, so when these struggles do come, this needs to be the first thing that we turn to. If we go back to last week, we saw that Elijah, he didn't look to the word of the Lord. He didn't look to God's word for direction and guidance. And we see it really led him down a path of sin, of not trusting and having faith in the Lord. So I ask us this morning, is the word of God, the Bible, the Bible, What you go to in your times of fear, in your times of worry, in these depressed times. And we see that's what God brings to Elijah, his word. So it wasn't something that Elijah valued, but we see it's what God values. And what God shows that in these struggles, we need his word. The second lesson for Elijah is concerning his ministry. God is also teaching Elijah that it's his word and not necessarily events or miracles that he uses to change the lives of people. Elijah had abandoned the word of God. As we looked at last week, he had given up on it for himself and I would say he even gave gave up on it to change the lives of people. And I think the lesson for us is that we need to prioritize and value the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. So both in our own evangelism, but also in the context of the church. Look with me at verse 14. We see Elijah's second response. And I say second response because we see he repeats the same thing as can be found earlier in the passage. Verse 14 reads this way. It says, Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So word for word, Elijah repeats the very same thing. And in your mind, you might question, why is he saying the very same thing? We see God asks the same question, but hasn't Elijah changed? And I think the answer to this question is that Elijah still hasn't got it. After this whole mountain experience, after the word of the Lord comes to him, Elijah still is not understanding. He's not understanding what the correct response should be. And I think the lesson that teaches us is that Elijah doesn't get it right away. And sometimes our time of fear, anxiety, depression, we could be in the word, and we might, it might take us a while until it finally hits us. And we do see later in this passage, in the next verses, we see that it finally does hit Elijah. So let's move on to our third section, and this section will be very brief. We see God's relief for Elijah in his depression. And this comes from 1 Kings nineteen fifteen through 21. And we see that ultimately it is God's word. It is the word of the Lord that gives Elijah purpose. In his depression. So we see finally Elijah starting to get relief from this really low point in his life. Look with me at verse 15. It reads this way And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat and of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So we see even though the first time that the word of the Lord comes to Elijah in his depression, we really see no impact. We see Elijah is just continually being hardened. It's not that the word of the Lord is... Powerless, But we see it's ultimately Elijah in his sinful heart that resists it. But now we see in the verses I just read that the word of the Lord brings him purpose. God commands him. God has for him to go and continue on in his ministry. And, and really, this, this passage really could be broken into two sections, two sermons. I just don't have time to look at this passage in great detail but there's a lot in there. It's, it's really neat to think about Elijah raising up a replacement for him. It's neat to think about the way in which God is about to use him. But the point I want to make today for our theme, for our purposes, is to think of how the word of the Lord, how, uh, how God's word brings him purpose in his depression. And let's close with 1 Kings 19 19 through 21, and we see ultimately Elijah obeys. So we see God brings him relief, and we see Elijah, and this is why I think he gets out of this state of depression. Verse 19 reads, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So again, if we think back to our our purposes, our focus in the last two weeks, we're focusing in on this really low point in Elijah's life, this fear, this fear this anxiety, this depression that really seems to stall his ministry. And now we see the word of the Lord. God's word comes to him. And we see he continues on in his ministry. And really we see Elijah faithfully and obediently following him the rest of his life. So as we close and we think about our lives, the lesson that we learn today is, is we see... In one sense, God's rejection of Elijah, he really calls him out for the ways in which he hasn't uh, had faith in him, but we see a resolution. And the question I began with was, have you ever went through these periods of time and and really haven't seen an end? Or maybe you're sitting here today and, and you don't see an end. I think we come to Elijah's life and we learn a very important lesson, especially for us as Christians, that it is ultimately God's word that he normally uses, in these times of struggle, in these times of depression, it is God's word. So my challenge to us today is, and how I've been challenged from this text, is to be immersed in God's word, to to be in the Bible, day in and day out, on a daily basis, reading God's word, memorizing it, and being in it, because that's ultimately what God uses in these times of struggle. So Elijah's life as I even said last week, I think Elijah's life is one that we both can relate to, but it also gives us great challenges uh, and great and teaches us great lessons uh, for the Christian life. Let us close in a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, I thank you for being a God who is I mean just far greater than us. Is far more powerful and all-knowing. God, you're a God of wisdom. And you are perfect, and you are holy, and yet you're willing to deal with us and interact with us, and, and you go so far as to love us, weak and sinful humans, Lord, and, and even as we sung earlier in the service, you have made us a child of you, Lord, you have called us to be your children, and, and Lord, as we think specifically about Elijah's life, as we looked at the last two weeks, I mean, he was at, in a very low point in his life, a depressed point, and Lord, you you came to him and you provided for him. And Lord, we thank you for this. And Lord, I pray that you would do the same for us today. And Lord, help us to live faithfully. Help us to live obediently. And Lord, I pray that we would be Christians who would be in your word and would really make it our goal and make it our lifestyle to be reading and memorizing your word. And in your name I pray, amen.